Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to The Forgotten Conservative. Uh, this is episode two. A um, couple of things. Uh, obviously, I'm just starting out. Uh, this That last episode, I kind of had to tie everything up pretty quickly there towards the end. Uh, when I was doing my show notes, I wrote down just a brief outline of things I wanted to cover. And I honestly, I thought, okay, this is probably 20 or 30 minutes worth of material. And, uh, you know, as I kept, as I, as I started, I just kept going and things kept popping into my mind. So it may have been a little disjointed. Um, but as I'm going through at the 45 minute mark, uh, my producer Dutch gives me the sign, Hey, you're at 45 minutes. And, uh, so I'm, I just keep on trucking, you know? Well, at 55 minutes, I get a big flash on my phone that's counting down from five. So that obviously the limit here uh, through this application is an hour. Uh, so <laughs> if you hear me droning on and on about something, worst case scenario, it's only an hour. And, uh, and I don't know what happens, if it'll automatically cut it off or what, but uh, I'll try to be a little more succinct and uh, stay on topic in the future. But I uh, just wanted to, if that sounded hurried at the end, that's what happened. Um, but the bottom line is, history does in fact repeat itself. And the, it's been said, you know, over the centuries that those who don't study history often repeat the same mistakes and it just amazes me how uh, socialism communism uh, all of this has been tried for as long as man's been around uh, and if you just think about that real quickly you know for the entire human existence for whatever you believe six thousand years a hundred thousand years whatever uh, Time and technology moved awfully slow. I mean, it, it was painstakingly slow up until one thing happened, and that was the founding of this great nation, the United States of America. Now, granted, you know, as we came out of the Dark Ages into the, the Renaissance period, um, you know, at the, from that early transition, uh, you had books like Aristotle, Plato that uh, ended up coming around through the Arabs um, and got into the hands of guys like Thomas Aquinas um, it, that started translating and it started that, that enlightenment uh, period. But even at that, technology, so to speak, moved slowly from the 1300s up until the 1500s, 1600s. Uh, yeah, you had Da Vinci in there that uh, was, a, was a, a, just an unbelievable thinker. You had other guys that were in that realm of critical thinkers and uh, forward thinky thinkers, but still technology has not advanced from then up until the founding of the country, 
nowhere near as exponential as it has at the, the early 1800s to now. You know, 225, 250 years. Part of that, that reason is capitalism. Now, capitalism, that the term hasn't been around forever, but it was basically the free market open society to where you had, it was up to you. You could make as much money, and it started off the land. It started, in fact, that's, if, if people only knew that the original Thanksgiving was more about anything, it was about uh, the crops and the abundance of, of harvest that the, the pilgrims had once they went from a socialism type system into a more free market type system. Because you had, you had families that were out breaking their butts, working the land, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and they were getting the same food allotment as guys that, that didn't work any land, that did nothing, that sat around and, and probably drank, you know, whatever they were doing back then. Well, uh, then the governor, maybe Bradley, but I don't recall the guy's name. Anyway, um, he basically, everybody got a plot of land, and you could work the land, you could obviously live off of it, sell it, barter for it, you know, trade. And at that point, everybody became motivated. And that was the, the first Thanksgiving was a result of that, that plentiful bounty that was created by that system. So we, when these, this new crop, they, they come up with all the, and, and, it's been around forever. They changed the language. So this uh, new wave is Democrat or democratic socialism. It's still socialism. Socialism is basically the financial arm of communism. Okay. Sure, there may be fine lines in there, but for the most part, that's what socialism is. Socialism is a financial institution for communism. Commune, the root word, commune, society which goes back to Marx, okay? All of this has been tried, but it hasn't been tried the right way, the proper way, the Democrat socialism way. We're smarter. This little liberal elite in a faraway land like Reagan spoke about knows what's better for 350 million of us than we know for ourselves. So just sit back. Do, it, do as we say, not as we do, okay? And you see that all over the country with these mask mandates, so on and so forth. During the height of this, uh, when you had governors, mayors, uh, judges, uh, other higher-ups in local, state, or federal government offices being seen out in public, uh, Cuomo trying to cancel Thanksgiving, yet gets on the radio inadvertently spills the beans about his entire family getting together. Or, or Dr. Burks uh, saying, um, you know, no family gatherings at Thanksgiving. And then it, it is discovered that she has a huge family gathering at her home in Delaware or Maryland. It was on the island where, you know. So again, these, these liberal elite, elite thinkers 
okay, is, is how they view themselves, which is kind of laughable that somebody like AOC could consider herself a, a deep thinker, okay? But that's how they view themselves. And it's again, it's not anything based on quote-unquote science, okay? It's, it's based on emotion and, and what, what feels good, what's the right thing to do, okay? And the right thing is for the liberal elite in Washington, D.C. to take care of the rest of us. Okay, that's that's how they view things. So, uh, I wanted to, I kind of thought about this the first episode, but I wanted to uh, kind of give you guys some background on me, uh, who I am as a political person, political being, uh, influence, what led me to feel, to think, the way I do, um, not that I have any magic experience or uh, magic thinking or anything like that. It's just something that I've been interested in uh, for nearly my entire life. I can remember as a child uh, watching the 76 conventions. Now, back then, you had three channels, or maybe four with PBS. Um, I'm not sure if they were available in 76 or not, but at least you had the three broadcast channels, CBS, NBC, and ABC. And it's everywhere. You, you got three channels, and the only difference is, of course, back then you had rabbit ears, and it seems like ABC, I believe, in Jacksonville, was on the UFH or UHF band, so you had to turn the, the rabbit ears, or like my dad would say, in lieu of a remote control, get up and change the channel. Uh, go outside and turn the antenna on the on the roof. Uh, but really and truly, that was the only the only difference because all three of them had the same thing. Uh, so I can remember watching the conventions, and I'd ask my father at some point. Um, this would have been the Democrat convention because Ford was the president at the time, so the Democrats had the convention first that year. And he and he basically tried to tell me, you know, what was I, eight years old, seven, eight years old, something like that, um, what it was, what it was about, what, what it was for, and I'm not quite sure I understood. I, I know he did give uh, somewhat of an explanation on what it meant, what they were doing, standing at a podium, talking for what seemed like hours uh, on, on hours from the time the 6 o'clock news, 6.30 news was over to the time I went to bed. It's all, I mean, that's all it was. And that's all you had to watch. You, it was either that or you sit there in the dark. I mean, we didn't have VCRs. You didn't have cable back then. That was it. So you, if you wanted some form of entertainment, that's all you had. Um, but I, I do recall the second convention, and uh, I recall Reagan's speech. Uh, after Ford nominate, nomin, was nominated, um, and I think that may have been a brokered convention, 
I don't recall. I don't know if that was if Ford got the nomination on the first ballot or the second. Um, but it was pretty close. I mean, Reagan ran against a sitting president and nearly won the nomination. Uh, seems like it may have been may have been Pennsylvania or Mississippi that prevented him, that actually kind of did Reagan dirty uh, and pledged, had, they had pledged their delegates and then pulled, and I, matter of fact, I think now, I think Ford offered somebody from that state, uh, either the vice president or a secretary of state position, but Ford ended up making an offer to someone high up in Pennsylvania politics uh, to bring on the ticket or, or the cabinet, and, and that's what swung that state's votes, uh, given the nomination ultimately to Ford, uh, which was a good thing because it gave Reagan four more years to talk to the country and uh, go, go around the country giving speeches, which he had been doing since the early to mid-60s anyway. Uh, but this, he, was, he was definitely on the national scene at this point. So you fast forward from the 76 conventions uh, to I'm in sixth grade, uh, maybe 78, 79. And I learned more in sixth grade than I did in any other grade growing up. I, my, she was the single best teacher I ever had. Her name was Joanne Woodward. She was a short fire plug of a teacher, but she knew her stuff. I mean, she gave us a broad range of subjects and things to learn about. She first taught me about uh, not believing everything you hear or see on TV, newspapers, magazines, etc. Now, I personally had heard that message before. Uh, I don't recall where, but I knew I had been told that previously. So we had a, a project uh, that every week we we get this little kind of a newsletter type of deal and it had current events had d different subject matter um for sixth graders across the nation and so one of our projects were that we were to call in the newspaper over the weekend and we were to write a political cartoon it didn't matter if we could draw good or anything else we just had to come up with a political cartoon. So I thought long and hard about it. Now, this may have been during the campaign. I don't recall the exact time frame, uh, the campaign for the 80th presidency. But I, I knew that Reagan was on TV quite a bit. He was in the papers quite a bit. Um, I, even at that age, knew he was a dastardly Republican. Um, not that I cared one way or the other, but you are, as a, a 11 or 12 year old, already had the sense that there were good, good guys and bad guys. And of course, this is, you know, not too far removed from Vietnam, uh, the resignation with Nixon and Watergate. And the theme seemed to be Democrats good, Republicans bad. And this was subliminal. It wasn't anything over the top, but it was, you definitely, as an objective child, 
okay, I definitely had the sense that one party, regardless of whether or not they were actually good or, or bad, but that there was a tilt in, not in coverage, but in stories favorable to, let's put it that way, Favor, there were more favorable stories surrounding Democrats than there were Republicans, even though I knew as a child that we were in the midst of a crisis. A crisis. Our, our hostages were being held in, in Iran. Um, I can remember mom the night before making sandwiches, getting drinks, putting them in a cooler, throwing the cooler in the back of the car, and going to the gas station. And we would go to the gas station. This was an event. You're probably talking a couple of hours, maybe three hours, in the car, three young kids under six, seven, eight years old, okay, for several hours. And you were in a gas line. You could only get gas certain days of the week, depending on whether your license plate ended in an even or an odd number. Um, I can, I remember uh, the interest rates. I know at some point my mom was worried that the interest rates were so high that we were going to lose the house. I mean, I, I heard her crying, come scared to death that we were going to lose the house. And at some point, there somebody came up with the misery index. And I forget what the matrix was, how to determine that. But it was something that started being played on TV. We started reading articles about it in the paper. And so you heard this, this constant beating of, yes, it's bad, but this government, this president can get us out of it. Okay, we've had war, we've had this, we've had that, but, but Jimmy Carter can lead this country out of it. Out of the malaise was one of the terms common back then. Um, and you look on the other side and you had Reagan. And here was this brash cowboy mayor actor, um, trigger happy, uh, mean, conservative, uncaring, and worst of all, he was going to take all the old people's social security. Well, it struck me as odd that here you got a guy running for president, late 60s, early 70s, I think he was maybe 68 or 69 when he ran, um, may have even been 70 at inauguration. But here he is, a senior citizen, and he's going to cut the Social Security of, of the demographic that he's in. He's in that demographic, and he's going to cut their, their uh, Medicare, their benefits, cost, no cost of living adjustment, so on and so forth. And I just thought to myself, why would somebody do that? Why would the people who, who can work the least to support themselves that are dependent, this is a, that generation that, that came through the Depression, who knew what it was like to stand, to truly have to stand in soup kitchens and, and go for days as kids 
Because by this time, this this generational Social Security was was kids, were children during the Depression. So, you know, I'm sure it's in their ingrained in their mind. They're on a fixed, limited budget, and this cat is fixing to come in, and if he's elected, he's going to cut their Social Security. And it just, I, I never could understand if you were going to do something like that, why would you announce it? Why would you, why would you say it? Okay, that's, that truly is a Democrat, now I know now, a Democrat tactic. It's only been a recent phenomenon that a, somebody has ran basically saying that we're going to raise taxes. Okay, now Walter Mondale did it in 1984. Of course, that was probably the single biggest landslide in presidential elections, uh, 49 states to one. And I think he barely won, I want to say it was Minnesota, which was his home state, but he barely won that state. Um, but on his, as part of his, his platform, he stated he was going to raise taxes. Now, Biden, okay, when he was queried over this, said he was raising, on tax, raising taxes on everybody but the middle class. Okay, well, first of all, to thinking people, that's impossible. Because when you raise taxes on the top 1%, 2%, whatever that percent is, when you raise those taxes, when you raise corporate income taxes, okay, corporations don't pay taxes. Consumers pay taxes. Okay? When the corporations, when their tax bills go up, they pass that along to us. Okay? So you're not saying, okay, uh, you know, this middle-aged dad of four that's making 60, 70 grand a year, I am not touching your income taxes. Your, your taxes will not increase. Okay, well, that's fine. Technically, I can buy that, toodles, okay? But guess what? When you raise the money on the corporations and everything goes up from his Tide to his Palmolive, to his gas, to the bananas that he buys, to everything that him and his family need across the board, when energy, insurance, everything in, in that man's life, in those kids' lives, when, when those goods and services go up, well, who cares that you didn't technically raise his income tax? That's just a formality. All that, that's a, that's, what do they used to call that? like up at Coney Island, the shell game, okay? Or, you know, where you, where you got the coconut shells and, and a little coin or whatever's underneath it. And you're just moving the damn thing around, hoping, you know, placing bets. Okay, that's all that is. He, you're doing the shell game. You're not technically raising somebody's income taxes, but you're raising the, the rate of inflation is elevating faster and, and superseding the, the cost of living, the consumer price index. Okay, you know, for the four years of Trump, wages went higher, but now wages are, are almost stagnant, okay, unless you're a new hire. Now, companies are offering more money for a new hire than existing employees, which is a paradox. Nevertheless, okay, otherwise wages are fairly stagnant, but the rate of inflation is going up, up, and away. So, 
And don't think I've lost my place because I know right where I was at. So this project over the weekend was to do a political cartoon. Now I was a decent artist back in the day. I could take my time and draw fairly well. So I had a park scene with a park bench and a dejected Ronald Reagan sitting down at the park bench. There were pigeons out in front as if he were feeding the pigeons, obviously depressed, and a squirrel perched on the back of the park bench. And so in the little bubble, the squirrel says something like, uh, why are you so sad? And Reagan says, well, when I was president, I cut Social Security benefits. And now that I'm no longer in office, I'm broke. I can't afford the things that I need because I cut the budget. And I thought it was brilliant. I, I took my time. I drew it. You, you could definitely discern that it was Reagan just by looking. Um, the squirrel, you know, I mean, it's a friggin' squirrel. So, but I, the, the, it was just, it was perfect. And I thought A plus all the way. So I get to school, I turn it in, and the teacher writes on it, see me after class. Well, we all hated that, okay? I especially hated it because I liked this teacher and I always wanted, I, I didn't want to, this was one of the teachers you did not want to let down. And you never wanted to hear that D word, I'm disappointed. Okay, so when I see this that I thought was absolutely brilliant as far as a concept and, you know, uh, appeasing to the eye, pleasing to the eye, to where you knew it was Reagan, you could tell it was a squirrel and little pigeons, and, and I get to see me. So I go to, to Miss Woodward after class, and I'm like, yeah, you know, what's, what's up with this, this see me? I mean, what's wrong? What's, you know, she says, how did, where did you get that Reagan uh, was going to cut the Social Security benefits? I said, on the news. Well, did Reagan say that? And I said, well, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. It's all over the news. It's all in the newspaper. She goes, no, you're not understanding. Did you hear Ronald Reagan or see a quote attributed to Ronald Reagan that he was going to cut Social Security benefits. And I said something like, you know, you mean out of his mouth? She said, yeah, so to speak. Did you see him say it or have you heard an interview or something where there is a quote in writing to where Reagan's going to cut Social Security benefits? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Not to my knowledge. She said, okay, I'm going to give you 48 hours, some, some time frame, 48, 72 hours. And I want you to go and research, go to the library, you know, do this, do that. And I want you to find me the article, the news program, whatever it is. I want you to find me the quote from Reagan saying that he, at, as part of his campaign, he plans on cutting Social Security benefits. So whatever this time frame was, I couldn't find it. It wasn't there. And so I come back to her. 
And I said, Miss Woodward, I can't, I couldn't find it. It's not out there. Well, what does that tell you? I said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because I've, that's all I've heard on these commercials, on TV, in newspaper. She says, but if the, if the candidate hasn't said that, okay, if you've looked and you cannot find a quote where the candidate has said that that's a part of his platform, then why do you think it's all over the news, the uh, newspaper, these um, ads against Reagan? I said, well, I don't know. And so that's when she started introducing me to terms like rhetoric. Um, to the fact that you can't believe everything you see on TV. You can't believe everything you read in a newspaper. That there's sometimes it's propaganda, sometimes it's bias, okay? And it's kind of not okay, but to an, uh, an extent in politics, it's okay to kind of bend the truth, but this was the first time that people had come out and at least that she had said, they had come out and actually said that a candidate is going to do one thing when there was nothing on record of the candidate even coming close to saying that. Okay, this was a scare tactic, and that's what she called it, a scare tactic. So, and, and of course, this lesson went on for the remainder of the year. But it was the first time that I understood, okay, well, not only is the opponent saying these things, okay, Carter, you know, people, PACs for Carter, the Democrat Party, etc. But why is the news, why is the media propagating this story. And, and so that got me to thinking. It, it made me ask why. At that point, in that period, is when I became Republican. Uh, Reagan was elected. The hostages were released immediately. I don't even think, I don't even think his inauguration speech ha had been finished by the time those hostages were released because they knew that Reagan wasn't playing. They knew if he come down from that podium and given that inauguration speech, that if those guys were not released, you know, it wasn't if, it was when. They were gonna have, have a couple of, uh, you know, mother of, of all bombs, you know, sticking up their hindsight, uh, you know, hindquarters, okay? So he, those hostages were released. Reagan brought back national confidence. Reagan was an optimist. Reagan never said the best times were behind us. Reagan was grateful for the past, but, but the best times in America were always forward-looking. That shining city on a hill. Okay, that's what started the foundation for my political beliefs. And then as I grew, got older, etc., um, 
in the, the late 80s, of course, you had Rush come along. Um, in that period of the, the early 80s, uh, it became more evident that the media was in, in on the fix. It still wasn't blatant like it is today, but it, was, it, it had become more and more obvious. Um, stories started leaking about Kennedy um, and the president. More and more stories were leaking about Bobby Kennedy, the Attorney General. Uh, Ted Kennedy was had just in '84 ran for president, um, and I don't recall what happened to his campaign, but that was the year that Kennedy was conversing with the Russian government, looking and sent a, a senator, if I'm not mistaken. It was an aide or a fellow senator to Moscow, okay, to, to help Kennedy win the nomination and then the presidency. And they were strategizing. Kennedy and a Russian uh, Politburo meeting uh, member. Now all, all this is documented. But not all that stuff, stuff like that was covered up. And it took years and years and years for stuff like that to, to see the light of day, whereas if it was Republican, that stuff was published and, and put out there in the, in the public forum immediately. Not that it shouldn't be, okay? If you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, it should be out there in the public forum if you're in high office or running for high office, okay? But it was just obvious that it was unfair treatment between the two sides. Um, and, and I kind of saw this uh, somewhat in sports as well. Not as bad, but in sports, I attributed it to like a writer that, let's say he likes the Yankees and hates the Dodgers because, they, you know, that's a deco, decades-old uh, rivalry. Or the Steelers in Dallas. I could see a, a beat writer for Pittsburgh, you know, printing something negative about, Roger Staubach or Danny White or whoever. You know, it may be a little salacious, so on and so forth. I could understand that. Just as a Dallas beat writer maybe trying to uh, say something about Bradshaw. Okay? But to me, politics was sacred. You know, it, it's, it was unheard of. Well, it wasn't. That was just me being naive. But, here I was, 14, 15, 16, 18 years old. Yes, I was naive. But I was learning more and more every day. Studying, watching the media, watching the stories. Not necessarily the substance all the time. Okay, because a lot of times, the substance isn't the story. The, the story is actually the coverage of the substance. That's, that's when you start to, to begin to learn. It's when you start to pick up on the bias. Um, so, like I said, Rush comes along late 80s, 88, 89, um, and that changed everything. For the first time, and I think I heard Rush maybe August, after his first year, I, I want to say it was 
it was in the summer of 89, I believe, right before Desert Storm, uh, which I guess would Desert, Desert Shield and then Desert Storm. <clears throat> so it was odd finally hearing somebody say the things that I thought that was verbalizing on a news story from yesterday or a couple of days ago, I, that, I thought the exact same thing. I can't believe it. And here this guy, not only did he think it, does he think like I do, but he's actually on the damn radio and he's talking about it. And he's pointing it out. And it just, it was so, it was such a novel idea and so foreign that, I mean, obviously it caught on, but I just, I, I know I felt like hundreds and millions of other Americans that thought, finally, finally we've got this voice every single day that we can turn to that thinks like us, that says, we're not alone. We're not out here toiling away day after day, and we're not forgotten. There is somebody who not only thinks like us, but has a voice and, and has the, uh, the ability to articulate those thoughts and to look at issues across the nation and be able to understand them and explain them to us so that we understand them. And... That was significant. It was significant for a lot of people. And I know it was for me. And then, of course, talk, show, uh, talk shows uh, popped up all over the nation. I know here locally that maybe 90 or 91, uh, one of our stations, the station that carried Brush, uh, had a lot of local shows in the evening and into the night. Um, Whereas before, it, it was not dead air, but it was national syndicated programs instead of programs by local talent that talked about local issues, especially local political issues. At some point in the early to mid-90s, I thought about trying to do that. Uh, it wasn't in the cards for whatever reason, but it's something that has been on my mind for a long time. Uh, I enjoy politics. Uh, I always have. After I read Aristotle's Ethics, um, I understood why. Because Aristotle says that we are a political people, humans, that we are more gregarious than uh, herd animals like horses or hive animals like bees, but that our very nature is a gregarian uh, society. And in order to have that, you have to have a political structure. The question is, or was, what is the best political structure? 
And, and that goes back from his teacher, Plato, and Plato's teacher, Socrates, into what is the best form of government. And their conclusion, in essence, basically was a republic. A republic by the people for the people. Now, that's, that's not their words, but that's basically um, how it was viewed. Of course, this was basically during the, the fall of the Greek city-states. Um, Socrates, when, when he was convicted and condemned to die, knew that Greece was in decline, that the, that the Greek city-states were in decline. And part of why he went ahead and, I guess, chose to be the martyr because he could have gotten out of it even after he was convicted a second time, which is the story of the Crito and, and how Crito comes to visit him. But he said, no, I, it's my duty to philosophize. It's my duty to tell the people how they should be ruled, that, that it's not for somebody else to decide, it's for them to decide. And if the, Greek, if, if the uh, powers that be disagree with that and disallow that, that's because they don't want the people to know. And I will not stop letting the people know. And, and that's pretty much why he agreed um, to, to, to not try to fight it, because he could have fought it. And, and both, I mean, he was retried and was convicted a second time. So you go through and you start learning about those things because even back 2,000 years ago from, from the ancient Greeks and those thinkers, okay, people haven't really changed for the most part. Human nature hasn't changed. Yes, technology's changed. Um, maybe we've grown taller on average. Maybe we're faster on average. Um, things of that nature. But human behavior is human behavior. And so once you understand that it's inherent as a group, as a human, okay, that you have to have politics. And these people that say, oh, I don't pay attention. Um, that stuff doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. Okay. I view that as the same way maybe a preacher would ha who has a similar conversation would try to say, well, let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus gives, Jesus is the way, the truth, the light. Okay? Come to church. Come to church Sunday and let me, let me show you what Jesus can do. Let me show you what it's done for me, for my family, for these people sitting in the pews. And it's, obviously, it's not the same. It, it's not as profound. But to me, when people say, 
I don't care about it, or they're flippant, or they're, they're all liars, uh, things of that nature. You know, that's where we have to step in. Again, I wouldn't go so far as to say we step in and preach, but I've taken to where I don't even present a side. I don't want to to try and sway this person to just automatically vote conservative or vote Republican. Okay? I feel like that would be the same thing as uh, one of these kids that ride the bicycles, you know, when it's uh, 312 degrees outside and they're riding a bicycle with a, a shirt and tie on and, you know, they... They come to your front door and it looks like they just jumped out of a pool. Okay, they're ringing wet with sweat. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to. To do that, because what do people do? They just shut the door. They're like, "Hey, man, here's a couple paper towels. Uh, go down to the community center, jump in the pool, and cool yourself off. Thanks, but no thanks." Click. They shut the door. Okay, so I don't want. I don't want to do that. I don't want them to shut the door on me. What I want to do is I want to show, I want to demonstrate, I want to demonstrate how critically important a role politics is in our lives. Not from here till the time I get ready to retire. My Social Security uh, bank or whatever, or pension or well, uh, 401k or what, no, I'm, I mean... On a day-to-day basis, like I was saying early, you know, the food you buy in the grocery store, the the uh, gas you put in your vehicles, or the energy you put in your homes. Okay, politics affects those things from from the ground up. Okay, if you don't think it does, look at Texas last year. Uh, when they had those freezes. Okay, I was in Dallas for the early part of that, and it was just, not only was it so unbelievably cold, I didn't even have pants. I, you know, I'm driving around the country in a semi-truck. I don't even have pants in my truck, okay, because I don't wear pants. So all I had was shorts. And it's, I bet, I think in Dallas, I went maybe six days, eight days below freezing, which wasn't the coldest stretch I had, but okay, when, you, when you're, you're waking up and going to bed and it's 26 degrees and at four or five o'clock in the afternoon, it's 29 degrees, okay, and the, the entire parking lot looks like an ice rink. I mean, literally is, is ice. Okay, and they had the rolling uh, blackouts. Uh, Crews got in that little dust up about going to Cancun or wherever he went to. The reason that they had rolling blackouts is because the, the liberals of that state, and, you know, especially in these power companies, have taken advantage of tax incentives given by the Obama administration 
and, and have turned to renewable energy sources. Now, as oil-rich as Texas is, these companies are foregoing crude for solar panels, windmills, and, you know, little Joey Bag of Donuts sitting there on his uh, bicycle, pedaling as fast as he can, you know, trying to store energy. Okay, well, the problem is you can't store that energy like you can with, with regular fossil fuels. So Texas, who, number one, has been a state that, that could legally succeed from the union, okay, number two, that had its own independent power grid, okay, have, have been reduced to a state like California due to rolling blackouts because of the liberals and the liberal policy and tax policy from the, the White House down to the power company CEOs and board, board members. Yes, they saved all this money. They got tax breaks, of course, none of which were passed on to the, the Dallas or Houston consumer. Okay, but it made that board probably millions of dollars but when the rubber hit the road and they needed more energy, they didn't have it to give because they had turned to renewable green energy solutions instead of tried and true crude oil, fossil fuels, coal, um, natural gas, etc. That's how, that's how and why politics affects us on a daily basis. Mm. I have forgotten. Here we are right at the 50-minute mark, and I still have sponsors that I need to cover. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of the same. Got a new sponsor this week. Uh, hopefully I have time to get to that. But... Um, Guys, you remember the last time, Shocker Bourbon? Shocker Bourbon, made in uh, Kentucky, and their motto, three fingers never tasted so good. Shocker Bourbon is extra aged in premium oak-fired barrels. In the hills of Kentucky, the Shocker family has perfected this recipe over several generations. Fathers, sons and daughters, cousins and all kinfolk have perfected the Shocker brand. I've personally tried the Shocker, and I can tell you the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Liven up your next date, liven up your next party with the Shocker. Trust me, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, if you guys haven't tried the Shocker, you need to try the Shocker, okay? Um, this is just one of the best things ever. So uh, I, I strongly encourage you. I, you know, I talked... I had some, I tried the shocker on my brother this weekend. I mean, he loved it. So please visit them at WTFshocker.dc. That's WTF.shocker.dc or call 155-SHOCKER, S-H-O-C-K-E-R. And remember, three fingers never tasted so good. Okay, our second sponsor this week is Dr. Stiff. Lee's Morning Glory Pills. 
Guys, as we enter into middle age and beyond, one thing or another creaks, cracks, or hurts every single morning. One thing, however, we miss in the morning is that special friend we woke up with in our 20s and 30s. That's right. ED and PE affects over 50% of men over the age of 35. Introducing our newest sponsor, Dr. Stiff Lee's Morning Glory Pills. Stiff uses a variety of natural ingredients led by the vitamin D. Don't just take my word for it. Read the, the, read the reviews. One satisfied customer wrote, Stiffly's Morning Glory Pills are a miracle. I'm 100% satisfied, my wife is satisfied, and her best friend is satisfied. In fact, my wife was so happy, she didn't want to waste it. Thank you, Stiff. Signed, Jehovah Stiffness. So folks, please call today and use promo code Pinocchio for one month free when you buy a month. Just call 555-STIFF-LEE. Okay, that's 555-STIF-LEE. Or use the web at WTF-STIFF-LEE.DC. And remember to use promo code Pinocchio. Okay. Um, thanks for that. We have to take care of our sponsors. Please visit these websites, make these calls. I need sponsors. Uh, these particular sponsors are basically donating product. Uh, so that's good. We love them for it. it. They both have a very good brand and we're very appreciative. Um, in fact, uh, uh, Dr. Stiffley's Morning Glory Pills um, really work wonders. Uh, I took those, took a couple of them, and I forgot I had a speech at a uh, local retirement home. And so I was given the speech about an hour after I'd taken a couple of these pills. And of course, I don't read the directions. I just, you know, take two pills. Well, the dose is once daily. So here I, I am. I take two of Stiffley's Morning Glory pills. And um, wow, let me tell you, I had, uh, they're, they're effective. And, uh, you know, give them about 30, 45 minutes and uh, you would be surprised at the results. I uh, gave a speech there at the uh, retirement village and uh, it was like a red red hat party thing. A bunch of older women wearing red hats, uh, widows and so forth. And uh, yeah, they uh, they noticed also. So by the time I left, I, I, I had like three phone numbers from these senior citizens. Uh, you know, a, a couple of proposals, and, and one lady, you know, uh, gave me a room key. You know, gave me a said, hey, here, I'm in uh, apartment 2B. And I said, well, it's not 2B this time. So, but yeah, definitely visit our sponsors uh, because these guys take care of us, and we want to, we want they take care of the show, and we want to take care of them. So, I've got one more sponsor. Um, this guy, he's been around forever. You've probably heard of him. But uh, he's got a tremendous product. He sent me some samples, and, and I just, it's outstanding. And I told him if he could give me a copy, a uh, sales pitch, I would put it on the air, and he, he's going to send me uh, some even more product. Uh, so that new sponsor is Mr. D's Nuts. We've all heard for years about superfoods, blueberries, greens, beets, garlic, and nuts. Yes, that's right. 
Nuts are a superfood, and nobody's nuts are better than these nuts. Mr. Cottle D began harvesting his nuts as, young, as a young teenager in Hazard County, Georgia. Today, a secret family recipe has been perfected. Papa D and Daddy D pass their nuts from one generation to the next. These nuts have a secret ingredient that gives them extra protein with a creamy sensation. Now, I've personally tried these nuts, and let me tell you, these nuts are second to none. So try all the flavors, including porridge, white gravy, cucumber, and introducing the new flavor, these spicy nuts. Nuts with a little wane to them. You can find these nuts at that these nuts at fine grocers everywhere nuts are sold or order online at WTF DEESnuts.dc that's WTF these nuts.dc or call 1555 these nuts. So once again uh, please call or visit the sponsors. Um, these guys help make the show happy. Uh, happen rather <laughs> oh, those glory pills made me happy but uh, nevertheless they uh, they keep the show running and and that's what we need we need more sponsors uh, all the sponsors we can get uh, please like subscribe we are currently on Spotify we have been moved also to the breaker I guess that's an iPhone app a podcast app I've never heard of it and if not by now coming soon uh, to Google Podcasts so I've got the link I just don't know if the link is actually working but right now go to, go to uh, Spotify or the breaker coming soon Google Podcasts like subscribe tell your friends about them about us share the episode and and remember that we may be forgotten right now but we are going to make our voices heard. We're going to argue rational, well-thought-out ideas and plans. And we are going to take back our country. So from everybody here at the farmhouse, Dutch, me, good night, everybody, and we will see you next time.